Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the time that we had to worship you with our voices and with the music, Lord. We thank you for Lord, the worship team that is just faithful to, to practicing and in, 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 in getting these songs down, Lord, so that we can lift up our voice and express things in, in ways that maybe we can't articulate ourselves. Uh, Father, most importantly, we thank you for the word that you have given us, Lord, that, Lord, we live in a time right now where things are so muddled. They're, the only truth we have is from your word. And so, God, I pray that as we get ready to open up your word and, and look at something that happened a few thousand years ago, Lord, it doesn't matter because, Lord, it's not just about what happened, it's what will continuously happen, Lord, because of who we are. But God, we know that we have salvation and it comes from you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that as we get ready to open this up, Father, I pray that we would honestly leave here differently than what we came. I pray that your heart will penetrate, that the, your words will penetrate our hearts, Lord, and, and change us. And, and Lord, just soften us up so that we wouldn't have our hearts hard. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, the one that you have given to us, Lord, to comfort us, to correct us, Lord, the one who, who guides us into all truth. Lord, and thank you. Thank you for your constant love for us by sending your son to die for us and to wipe our sins away. God, there is no other name that salvation comes through but the name of Jesus Christ, God. And we thank you that it comes from you and what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So about a month ago, uh, we had the, the Pastors and Leaders Conference, and it was a, a, a prophecy conference. And it was all on prophecy. And, and a couple things that I took away from it was, was one thing. Um, you know, we were there with a bunch of scholars. There was, there was, uh, you know, doctors of universities and 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 all the all these things, professors, all kinds of stuff. It was funny. One of the running jokes was there was a, a guy there that had they they teased him that they, he had more degrees than a thermometer because he just had so many degrees, right? He was a doctor and all these things. And uh, guys, one of the things that I absolutely loved about the conference is nothing was new. And, and that goes to credit to Pastor Pat, Pastor Jack, who have continuously held the line and stood firm, because all the information is, is in the Bible, and they have stuck to it. So as we were going through the conference, I'm like, man, this is great. Like, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything new. And it was, it's just a blessing to be in a congregation that opens up the scripture, we open up, and we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the scriptures. It's a complete blessing. One of the things for me, that, that just like really spoke to my heart is, is if you guys know anything in the Bible timeline, what are we waiting for right now? Jesus' return, but what's coming for the church? The rapture. That's what we're waiting for, okay? So we know that that's coming, but there's also something else that's coming also, and that's this, it was that phone call. <laughs> is it Jesus coming for us? That would be great. <laughs> he says, I have called you my name. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Sorry, bro. It says, if you have a cell phone, silence it. I better check mine. Um, but it, it, here's the thing, guys. There's going to be this great falling away. It's called the apostasy. And what's going to end up, and we see it right now. We, and we see that the church has grabbed onto this. It's the whole woke agenda. And it's sad to see. Some people are going to fall away. They're going to they're believe in this agenda, and they're going to walk away from the church. And that's going to be super sad. But the thing that's going to be super dangerous is going to be those that grab onto this and then stay in the church, especially in the form of leadership, because they're going to compromise and they're going to lead people astray. So one of the, the speakers at this conference wrote this book. It's, it's called The Coming Apostasy. And I've been reading through it, and, and I just have to share this with you guys, and it's going to go along with the teaching. He says this, 
An Avionica Airlines jet crashed in Spain in 1984. The investigation into the crash uncovered an alarming conversation on the black box cockpit recorder a few minutes before the plane plowed into the side of a mountain. A commanding voice from the plane's automatic warning system repeatedly cautioned in English, pull up, pull up. Believing the device was malfunctioning, the irritated pilot said, shut up, gringo, and shut the system off. Within minutes, the plane slammed into the side of a mountain, killing everyone on board. Similar to the airplane's warning system, the Bible, God's instruction manual and warning system is quoted and obeyed as long as it fits the agenda, tells people what they want to hear and agrees with their decisions and directions in life. Yet, when the Bible warns them to pull up, to stop some sinful behavior or belief, they don't want to hear it and want to shut it up. Tragically, the result is a spiritual death spiral, a moral freefall without a parachute. This is true of an individual, a family, a church, and a nation. Guys, we have to hold the line, and we cannot compromise. So as you open up your Bibles into 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible is great and fantastic because we see how God guides people, and we see the sinfulness of man, how we want to do our own thing. And it goes to the very beginning of the garden, right? It's nothing new. We get a command from God, but yet we, we listen to another voice and we make decisions. And so in 1 Samuel 15, the book of 1 Samuel is absolutely awesome. First and Second Samuel have to be like two of the best books, but you know, you take the whole Bible, it's funny, because Matt back there's like, yeah, it's two of my favorite 66 books of the Bible. Whatever, dude. They're all good, I know that, but there are some that are just a little bit special. And in, in, in 1 Samuel, you, you see up to this point how it's coming on the heels of Judges, where everybody was doing right in their own eyes of the nation of Israel. And then Israel wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted a king. They wanted to be just like everybody else. And God's like, okay, you want it? You got it. And he gives them this king, and he gives them King Saul. And in the beginning, Saul kind of is okay. He, he, he shows some humility and is kind of humble and is like, I'm from you know, the least tribe of Israel, from Benjamin, and, and all this other stuff. But this guy would, was the, the perfect candidate, right? He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the one that everybody would have wanted to be king. But then we see him put into place of power and we start seeing him drift away, slowly drifting away, just small decisions in his life. Right, one of the things in, in the previous chapters, in chapter 13, I believe it is, is where he goes and he takes the, the role of the priest because he was waiting for Samuel to come on an appointed day because they were doing battle, he was waiting, and Samuel doesn't come. And he got impatient. And then he's like, you know what? If Samuel's not going to offer the sacrifice, I'm going to offer it up. And he ends up doing what he was not supposed to be doing. And at that moment, Samuel has to tell him that God is telling me to tell you that the kingdom will no longer be in your line. And then after that, he orders a fast. They're in battle, and he orders a fast. He starts, he start, he's just trying to do whatever he can. And just making bad decision after bad decision. And then in chapter 15, that's where we're going to find ourselves. Now, this, is, this chapter pretty much explains itself. So I'm going, to, I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to go and just start picking some main points out, okay? Chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel, now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. 
Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tel Aim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Verse six. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hevelah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they, everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And do not heed, and, and to heed then the fat of rams, for rebellion is as sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and, the, and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord God. But Samuel, but Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also... 
And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came with him cautiously, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. It's sad. You get this man that is put into power, and he's given a command, and, and I know it's hard. Like, as I was studying this, it's like, man, this is like the one part of Scripture that is like, ah, oh, how am I going to rectify this, right? Because listen to what he says. What's the command? The command's very simple, but it's a harsh command. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Right? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. God's, God's telling him to kill women and children and infants and what's going on here? And this is a lot of the, the, the Bible critics get on this. Look at the God that you serve and look at what God would do this. But here's the thing, God isn't going for power here. And I told you guys to keep your place in, in Deuteronomy 25, so let's turn there real quick and let's get context of, of what happened. This is coming, they, they're coming out of Egypt, okay? And this is what ends up happening. Verse 17, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming up out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the strangers, all, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. Guys, the Amalekites have been a thorn in the side of Israel and continue to be a thorn in the side of Israel. And God is saying, look at what they did to you. You guys were coming up out of Egypt, and, and what did they do? They took advantage of the weak. They got the, the women, the children, the stragglers, and they, they took them out. He's like, you need to destroy them. And we see here, later on in the passage, in, in 1 Samuel 15, you see in verse 18, where he calls them the sinners. You were supposed to wipe out the sinners. The Amalekites, for us as we read this, is an example of sin in our life. And what we see here is with Saul, he was reluctant to get rid of all the sin. Kind of like we do the same thing. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but that's just a harsh command. Listen to what, what the Amalekites end up doing. A, a few chapters later on, uh, Saul is getting overran. He didn't want to become captive. He, he puts his sword in the ground and he falls on top of it because he didn't want to be captured. And then some guy comes around and Saul's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm so-and-so, an Amalekite. He's like, well, take me out. Cut my head off. The Amalekites are still there. And then later on, if you guys, if you guys know a little bit of your Bible, in Esther, who's, who's the villain in Esther? Haman. And what does Haman try to do? He tries to take out all the Jews. And who was Haman? He was an Agagite. He was a descendant of King Agag, the Amalekite. 
You gotta remember, the whole purpose when, when he was trying to wipe out all the Jews, you gotta remember, we have an enemy. And guess where the Messiah was gonna come from? It was gonna come from the Jews. So why would, why would Haman wanna wipe out all the Jews? Because Satan is always trying to thwart God's plan. And so when the word of the Lord comes and it's given to us, hey, you know what? The moment that we start saying, ah, God, I don't, I don't know if I really wanna do that. I don't know if that's really what, what we're supposed to be doing. The moment we do that, we take ourselves out of the authority of God, and now we start becoming God's judge. Listen, God is the one that created everything. He can do however he wishes, and we have to trust him. Now, here's the thing. Let's not look too harshly, because we might think, man, that is so harsh that he would do that, but let's look at, for us, as the New Testament. What did he do in order to save us? Did he not have to send his son to die on the cross for us? Oh, but we like that. We like the fact that we're forgiven of our sins and we don't have to do anything at the cost and the expense of God, but how did he do that? Don't ever forget that. He sent his son to die for us. So the command, as we look at this passage, I want us to, to point out three things. The command, the compromise, and the consequence. The command was super clear. Go and destroy them. And he tells him, when Samuel comes to him in verse one, this is what he says, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over Israel. King over, king over his people, king over his people over Israel. He's telling him, listen to who you are. You are not in this position because the people have appointed you, you are here because the Lord has anointed you. You need to follow the direction of the Lord, not the direction of the people. He's making that distinction. And so the command is super clear. Go and destroy everything. Leave nothing alive. See, back in those days, when a nation would conquer another nation, that's exactly what they would do. They would take the best of whatever they had to offer. They would capture the king, and they would ride into victory, showing, hey, look at how great we are compared to them. And we even have their king. And God's like, that's not what we're doing. This isn't one nation conquering another nation. No, what we're doing is we're eradicating them because they are going to continuously be a thorn in the side, and this is what I want you to do. Just like they were attacking the weak, don't attack the weak and leave the good stuff for yourself. So in the first three verses, we get the command. Now in verse four to about verse, uh, verse nine, we're gonna see how, he, how he's capable of doing what is told to him, right? Let's look at a few things right here. Verse four. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when you came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hivilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Listen, he was perfectly capable. He was a great leader in the sense of people listened to him, he knew what to do, hey, this is a strategy, this is how we're gonna take it. And guess what, he wasn't just going and ransacking people. The Kenites are actually descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And he goes in there, he doesn't just wipe them out, hey, you're here too, we're gonna take you out. Nope, that's not, it was in a slaughter fest. And Saul was perfectly capable of paying attention and doing what he was supposed to be doing. And this is the problem though. We're willing to follow after God when it best suits us. But the moment that we're asked to do something that doesn't fit our agenda and doesn't fit our ideology, that's when we have a hard time. And that's when we start picking and choosing. Because he makes the decision, and then let's see what happens in verse 8. 
He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were, listen, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Oh, you're going to pick and choose. Saul is a picture, and we can look at him, and we can look at this character study, but we also need to be able to look at ourselves and say, how do I do those things? What are the things that I pick and choose as I follow after Christ? The Bible tells us in Proverbs, in Proverbs uh, 27, verse 19, it says, as the face is reflected in the water, so the heart reflects the real person. Listen, your behavior is a direct reflection of your belief. He... Let's give Saul the benefit of the doubt in this situation. Let's say when he was going in there, he really had good intentions to wipe everything out. Let's just say that. But let's, let's say this scenario. Let's say as they were going through the, through the town or the village or wherever they were at, and they were going through, guess what? Maybe they found the king. And then they go to Saul and like, look, Saul, we got Agag here. We should keep him. They have been a thorn in our side for all these years. How is that gonna look? You finally, after all these years, you finally get the opportunity to take him and put him on display and show the power of Israel. Let's take him back with us. And Saul's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, let's take him back with us. And then they start going through and then, and then the, other, the other soldiers are like, hey boss, look at all these great animals that we have. Like, come on, let's think about this. How many of us like going to a barbecue? Absolutely. How many of us enjoy going to a barbecue when we don't have to pay for anything of it? On somebody else's dime. And think about it. Hey, we're going to take these animals, we're going to sacrifice them, and then we're going to get to enjoy them. Come on, Saul. Like, we already took Agag, and this is a problem when we start to compromise. When you're in a position, and you're in a position of leadership, I'm talking parents here, I'm talking at your job here, and the moment you compromise, you flip the switch to allow everybody else to slowly start compromising. And here's the hard part. When Saul wanted to take Agag, let's say he didn't, want to, he didn't want to take the rest of the animals and the rest of the herds. How hard is it going to be for him to like, hey, yo, we're not going to do that. Oh, we can't do this, but you want to go ahead and do this. It's hard when you put yourself in that position. And think about it. Think of how they might have tried to justify it. We're going to kill them anyways. Think about it. They were told to slaughter it. We're just going to kill it. We're going to get rid of perfectly good meat? Come on. We're gonna kill it anyways, let's just take it back. Let's just take it back, and, we're, and here's the thing, we'll offer it to the Lord. Oh, he's so spiritual. Hey, I cheat on my taxes, so that way I can give more to the church. Man, you guys laugh. <laughs> it's a little bit scary. But hey, here's the thing, guys, and this, is, and this is what we do. We allow the ends to justify our means, and that is wrong. That is utterly wrong. There's another proverb that says, the sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives. We're gonna get married anyways. Let's just live together. We're gonna get married. You know how much money we'll save? You know, we can give more to the church. We should just get, let's just live together anyways. We're gonna get married anyways. Let's just sleep together. It's fine. Come on, you're the one. We're already engaged. I, I've heard this one. That's, and we look at that when we look at the younger generation. Let's look at the older generation. I've heard this one. 
if I get married, I'm going to lose the benefits from my spouse because I'm a widow. So, like, can we get, like, we're going to be married in the eyes of the Lord. Do we really need to file it with the state? Yes. Yes, you have to. Because here's the thing. Are you going to trust God or not? And, and, and sometimes you get people that want to pull you in, and they want you to tell you what they want to hear, and they want you to give the okay because, hey, you gave me the okay to do it. No. Guys, we have to submit ourselves to the word of the God, of the Lord. You know, as, 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 this is for the men, as husbands, as leaders in the family, even if you're single, let's say you're single, and you're, you're, you're with your, your, your girlfriend, and she's like, come on, let's just, let's just sleep together, or let's just do these things. You're the leader. Don't listen to, here's the same thing, don't listen to the voice of the people, listen to the word of God. As dads, hey, you know what? And, and we see this as parents sometimes, especially like, there's a lot of people that are blended families right now. And sometimes when we're, we're in hard situations as parents, we end up pairing out of guilt. This is whether you're blended or not. Maybe you, you see something in your kids and you feel sorry for them for certain things and you're allowing them and you're like, before at one point it's like, no, we're gonna hold the line on these things and then you just see your kids hurting and you're like, all right, you know what? Let's go ahead and give in to this. And you allow the compromise because here's the thing that we're doing. We're listening to the voice of the people. But just like Saul was told by Samuel, hey, the Lord has anointed you over your household, over the house of Israel. Men, the Lord has anointed you to be the leader of the family. So when your family wants to do something different, you got to hold the line. And all you have to say is like, look, no, this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to have to give an account to the Lord when I meet him in heaven based on this and how I led the family. They're gonna, there's going to be pushback. And the one thing with pushback is, especially when kids start to mature, they're trying to go their own way. And here's the thing when I think of pushback. You, what happens when you get on a roller coaster ride? What's the first thing that happens? The, the, the brace locks in, and then what do people do instinctively? They push back. They test it. They want to know, is this thing going to hold me? That's what your kids do. When you're getting pushback from your kids, man, don't resort to their level and, and, and start arguing with them. They're trying to get pushback because they're trying to see, are you really going to give way? And here's the problem. They know you've compromised in the past. They're just waiting to see how they can flip it around. Don't compromise. We have to hold the line. Guys, and the same thing goes with the church. It, it, it is sad to see, and I've, I've had, guys, we don't see it because we live in a small community, and, and we're very grateful for it. But, man, I got a text message on, a, on my phone from somebody I met at the conference that's like, dude, pray for me because my sister is deconstructing in her faith. Like, this is a huge thing going on right now. And people are deconstruction and leaving the faith. And it's sad to see, and I've had conversations with people and individuals that are, 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 are giving into this woke agenda, and it's like, you know what? But my child wants to, to be somebody else and believes that, that they should be a, a different gender. And, and when you start trying to open the Bible and you tell them, it's like, yeah, but you know what? I don't know if when we talk about those words and homosexuality and the things like, man, is that really what it means? And they try, like, they try finding somebody that's going to agree with them. And it's like, look, here's the thing. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know the Hebrew. 
So I'm not even arguing in that sense. I'm not going to open up to Romans 1, where Romans 1 is very clear on, on what we're supposed to do. But I'm not even going to go there. Let's just go to the very beginning. Let's just go to Genesis. And what do we see in Genesis? We see that in Genesis, God created male and female. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. So if he created male and female, are you telling me now that he made a mistake when he made your child? I don't care what the, what the Greek says or what this, let's just go to what is being said. Guys, we have to hold the line and we can't compromise when it best suits us. Hey, you know what? I don't want to be loving to certain individuals because of the way that makes me feel and all this other stuff. Listen, Christianity isn't about feelings. It's about truth. And we start slowly compromising. And then once we compromise, it's so hard for us to reel it back in because we've already made that compromise. So in verse 10, verse 10 to verse, um, verse 12, we see how the word comes to Samuel, and Samuel is told, man, it grieves me. I regret that I made, I made Saul king. And here's the thing. The Bible gives us language. Does, did God make a mistake? No. But the Bible gives us language that God is getting ready to change things. He's getting ready to pull Saul out of the position of leadership. So that's why it tells us that he regrets it. He's going to change his mind, not in the sense that, oh, maybe I made the wrong decision. All right, now we're going to do something different. And here's the thing, it grieves Samuel. And what does it say? That Samuel cried all night for him. Because here's the thing, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, now you're putting somebody else in a position to do what you needed to do. Man, it's heartbreaking when people come in for, for marriage counseling, and then they start talking about, you know, the things that are going wrong. And marriage is tough. Marriage is tough in general, and even as believers, marriage is tough. But marriage is super tough when you're not centered and rooted on Christ. And so you have the, marriage, you have the, the couple come in, and then they start talking, and, and, you, and then this is a question that I ask each and every single time. Is Jesus Christ at the center of your guys' marriage? Can you honestly say that? And the answer, 10 times out of 10, is no. It's like, exactly. I, I didn't even need to ask that. So what we need to do is we need to change. Look, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So what we need to change in your marriage, first, yes, there's all these other things going on, but let's get Christ at the center of your marriage first. Okay? And then let's work from there. But now you put people in a position that they need to be the ones to tell you. They need to be somebody that's going to do it. And here's the thing. A lot of us, we don't like rebuke. We don't like when somebody corrects us. And we have to realize, like, look at the position of Samuel. Samuel has to go and tell King Saul what's going on and what's going to happen. And if we don't like being corrected because when we made a decision, guess what? When we made a decision, we knew that we were making a decision, we chose to make it, and we thought, hey, you know what? This is the right decision to make. And then somebody's going to come into your life and say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. And you see this with kids. We see this with kids. Well, I, I don't know why they're so upset. I didn't do anything. I don't know why my parents are upset. I didn't do anything wrong. No, you did. Stop trying to justify your actions. And, and us, as big kids, we do the same thing. You start arguing and trying to, hey, you know, what we need to do is this. We need to say, hey, you know what? You're right. We need to look at when somebody's coming to correct us, we need to know this. That person had to muster up all the courage that it was going to take to say something in this moment because they saw me going in a wrong direction. Whether, whether what they're saying is valid or not, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that this person told me this out of love. Because when you go and correct somebody, you know that, hey, I'm going to go and tell this person something, and it's probably going to be a fight. 
It's going to be an argument. Depending on who you go and talk to, they're going to turn away. Maybe that relationship is going to be cut off, and then they're going to probably drag other people along with them in bashing me. But you know what? When that individual comes to you, they've, they've processed all that, and they still do it. That is the most loving thing that you can do. The most hateful thing that we can do is be like, you know what, I'm not going to be the one to tell them anything. You know why? Because you're not thinking about that other person. You're only thinking about yourself. So Samuel cries out all night. He's, he's grieved over what he's going to have to do. And now he comes to find Saul. He finds Saul in verse, uh, in verse 12. So Samuel rose early in the morning, went to meet Saul. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for who? For the Lord, right? Nope. He set a monument up for himself. And he has gone around, passed by, uh, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. This dude's a chump. I'll tell you why he's a chump. Because he's willing to take credit for something that he didn't do. Setting up a monument for himself. Whose credit is that for? That's for the Lord. So he's willing to take credit for something that he didn't do, and he's willing to relinquish responsibility for the actions that he did do. Oh, it was the people that did this. He's a chump. You know what? As a leader, you need to be the one that's going to take responsibility. It's on you because you're the leader. It doesn't matter what the people do. Dads, it doesn't matter what your kids do. Your kids have, don't have the final say. You do. Don't relinquish that responsibility. And you take those things and you know what? I have been lax. I have not done. I did something else. I was distracted. You know, my wife does this to me. I love her. She's not here to defend herself, but I told her, I said it last night, so. But she does this to me. Like right now for me, this is going to be the busiest time. We have Easter coming up. We're getting ready for VBS. I'm getting ready for the, the camp for the high school. For me, it's super busy. On top of that, I have another full-time job. Like it's just a lot. And my family knows this. And my wife likes to say, because here's the thing, it tells us in Timothy that when you look at somebody and you're going to put them in a position, you need to look at their family, right? Because when a family's in disarray, that's like the bleeding of sheep, right? It's like, look, look at how spiritual I am. Yeah, but your family's a wreck, dude. So my wife will lovingly tell me, hey, pastor, don't forget your family's your first priority. That's your first ministry. It's like, oh, I know, I know, <laughs> you know. But sometimes, as guys, we're dense. We, we don't listen. It, it, here's, here's another one. You know, my wife, she'll, you know, we got people coming over at the house. We're getting ready for something. And she's like, oh, I forgot. We needed onion and tomato for this thing. She's like, babe, will you please run out and go and get it? She's like, all I need is an onion and a tomato. I'm like, sure, I can do that. I go, and I go through the grocery store. And guess what? The freezer section is like right in front of the produce. You go to Safeway, right? So I'm like, oh, wait, we need, I remember she said we needed waffles for the kids. And so I'm going to get some waffles. Oh, wait, we need syrup, too. So I go and I grab syrup. So now I'm grabbing all these things. I get the onion and the tomato, and I come in, and everybody's there at the house. She needed the onion and the tomato for the dinner that we were making because somebody was going to be at the house, and now she's what? She's a little upset. And I, you get this, like, how are you mad at me? Like, do you see what I just brought you? I brought, I brought you all the stuff that we needed. And she's like, I, 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 yes, and I thank you for that, but... I needed the onion and the tomato for the dinner, and now you're late and all this other stuff, you know what I mean? And I'm like, how's she gonna be upset at me? Like, doesn't she know what I just did? I was being thoughtful of her. 
I mean, thank you for laughing, because then that means you can relate to this, right? And guys, that's what happens in marriage. And, and, and here's the thing. It's funny how God works things out. Because in that sense, you start reading scripture and, and the Lord says, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, men, you're gonna come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he's gonna say, depart from me for I never knew you. They're gonna say, but we did all these things. We cast out demons in your name, we healed the sick. We're, we did all these things. And he's say, depart from me for I never knew you. And then you start going through marriage and you start thinking these things. And then you start having these arguments with your spouse and you're like, I do love you. What do you mean I don't love you? I do this for you and I do this for you and I do this for you. And then like for me, like I've had that argument with my wife and she's like, stop doing all that stuff. That means nothing to me. I'm like, but that's how I show you how I love you. She's like, but that's not what I'm asking of you. And it's like, ooh, man, maybe this whole thing as following after the Lord is in that same sense because I'm doing things in the way that I think I should be doing it that's not what's being asked of me, right? So we can look at Saul and we can be like, dude, he's such a chump, right? But listen, the Bible is not a magnifying glass to look into other people's lives. It's supposed to be a mirror to look at our own lives, okay? So here's the thing. He relinquishes the responsibility, he puts it on the people. Guys, and this is something that happens over and over and over. He's listening to the voice of the people and not the word of the Lord. Guys, next door in children's ministry, uh, they're discussing in the second through sixth grade class, discussing the, the confrontation between Paul and Peter. And guess what? Peter was listening to the voice of the people. He wanted, it's in Galatians where he's like, oh wait, I'm gonna eat this stuff because of everybody else. And, and now the Jews start coming and I'm not gonna eat with the Gentiles. And Paul has to rebuke him. Guys, we see it over and over throughout the scripture. Now, here's, here's the thing. Samuel confronts him and says, what is the bleeding of sheep that I hear? And we see Saul, what does he do? Does he assume responsibility? He doesn't. He says, look at what we're gonna do. And listen to what he says. He says, behold, blessed are you of the Lord. When they brought all these animals from the Amalekites, guess who was gonna have to slaughter them and offer them as a sacrifice? Samuel. Look at how blessed you are, Samuel. We have all these things that you can present to the Lord. Samuel held the line. He said, what are you doing, dude? You're putting this on me? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then he has this conversation with him. We see it, you know, from verse, from verse 16 all the way into 20, right? Saul doesn't get it. He's like, but I did what the Lord told me to do. I did go and offer sacrifice. I did go and do this. I did go and do this. And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And listen to what he says in verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. This is another thing that I've seen. You guys, it's not just, I mean, you, you see it in conversations. You see a guy and he's like, man, I don't understand what's going on. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm going to Bible study. I'm doing all this other stuff and my wife's just miserable. Really? Like you're trying to act so spiritual that you're doing these things? Then stop doing all those stuff, all that stuff. Do what you're supposed to be doing. But I pay the bills. I pay for this. I pay for that. I pay for this. Yeah, but you're not paying her attention. Guys, and the same thing as the Lord. We think we're being so busy and look at what I'm doing for the Lord and I'm doing all these other things. Listen, because our sacrifices, we're not offering sacrifices up to the Lord in the sense of we're, we're killing animals, but our sacrifices now for us are our religious rituals that we do, serving and, and doing things like that. You know what? Even reading your Bible. Oh, look, I read my Bible and I go through the Bible plan. Yeah, but did you take it in? 
Did you really get it? You know what? If, if all you do is read one verse a day and do that, that is much better than going through the entire reading plan throughout the whole year. Because it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And listen to what he says right here. Verse 23, for rebellion is as sin as witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. What happens with witchcraft? When people go and they, they want to go see like a psychic, what are they doing? What they're doing is they're trying to get counsel from somebody on how to run their life. Here's a big one. Some of us are guilty of this. When we look at our astrological signs, you meet somebody, what, what, what month are you? What are you? Are you a Leo? Are you a Sagittarius? What are you? What are you doing? You're trying to guide your life and guide your relationships with an individual based on some other kind of guidance. Rebellion is just as evil as witchcraft. Guys, the only guidance that we're supposed to be getting is through the word of the Lord. That's all you need. But can we trust that? Do we trust that? That's the question. And when God corrects us, do we make excuses for it? Or do we admit it, repent from it, confess it, and turn away from it? Guys, it's a slippery slope. And we will follow as long as it suits us. And we need to avoid that. As we wrap it up, let's look at, at verse 33. Verse 33, we see, But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And he put Samuel in a responsibility that he wasn't supposed to put. Sometimes when we relinquish our, our responsibilities that we're supposed to do, we need to put that on somebody. Sometimes men, we do this. We're guilty of this, right? When we don't do something, then we put that responsibility on our wives. We don't handle our kids. We don't rear our kids the way that we're supposed to, and then we have to make our wives do it. That's not their role. We were supposed to be doing that stuff together. And, and like I said, you know, just, just the appreciation of, of coming to a church where, you know, Pastor Pat, Pastor Jack have just held the line and say, hey, we're not doing anything else. We're not going to get any information. We're not, we're not putting on performances here. What we're doing is we are going to be faithful in teaching the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter. Because guess what, guys? This is all we need. But is it enough? Is it enough? So, a few things. Two things. Listen, when we're trying to decipher God's will and we're making decisions, what we need to ask ourselves, like, man, is this the will of God? Or, hey, this is the will? God's will will never contradict God's word. Know that. That's what we need to be focused on. When I don't know what decision I'm going to make, I need to make sure that I have, I have this. Second thing, man, you need to be in fellowship with people and be in fellowship with the right people that can give guidance. We need a Samuel in our life that can tell us and say, hey, dude, that's not what you should be doing. Stop it. And be willing to make that adjustment. Don't make excuses for your bad decisions, okay? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. We're gonna pray real quick. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ and you've been thinking, you know what? I'm all about the sacrifices. I'm all about following after the Lord when it suits me. And you never really thought about, you know what? He wants more of my obedience than he wants of anything else and you haven't made that decision, I'm gonna say, make that decision now. Don't wait for time. Don't wait to, to, to oh, you know what, I'll just, I'll just fix it. No, 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 no. Surrender that to the Lord. And if you don't know what that looks like, then talk to somebody. There's Pastor Matt in the back, myself, um, Pastor Jack, man, any, any, look, for, look around and look for, for somebody to talk to. 
Because guys, I'm telling you right now, it's coming down to a slippery slope and the, the, the time that we just continue to make these decisions in the wrong manner and we do it further and further away from the Lord, guys, we're only gonna dig ourselves into a bigger hole. And we see it in the culture, guys. We see it in the culture and my biggest heart cry is how it's gonna affect the church. Guys, so let's stand for truth. And let's know that I'm, I, don't, I might not understand it, but you know what? God has a better understanding than I do. And I'm just gonna submit my will to his. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for all that you've given us, for all that you've done. Lord, for the fact that, that your mercy is so great, that your grace for us is so great. When our sin was so bad, Lord, you are so good. Lord, that even while we were yet sinners, you still sent your son to die for us and to take away our sin. Lord, we don't need to lie. We don't need to try to make ourselves right in the eyes of other people. What's most important is that we make ourselves right with you. And so God, thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for your mercies that are new every single day. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here right now, Lord, that hasn't made a decision, maybe they've backslid and they've been going in the wrong direction, I pray that right now was an opportunity, Lord, that you could grab them and fill them with the Holy Spirit and that they would just say right now in this, in this moment, Jesus, I need you in my life and I need to be centered on you. Come into my life and lead me. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to just open up your word and to be guided, corrected for every good work that you have equipped us with. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.